Hello and welcome everyone to the B-Ball Index Podcast, brought to you through Blue Wire. My name is Tim. Uh, you may know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter, and I am going to be your sole host for the day, as Tony and Jacob at this late hour on a Wednesday night have some work stuff going on. This week, we're going to touch a little bit on optimization, building off of some of what we talked about last week, and then touch on the idea of assessing players by averaging together different data points. Um, so, I mean, let's get right into it. We won't have the normal back and forth like we usually do, but hopefully you can find some value in, in what we'll talk about today. So if you remember last week, we introduced our concept of overall offensive grades. These were put together by looking at physical tools, our different 11 uh, talent grade areas, uh, optimization information, as well as deployment and, and player style and usage offensively. We're going to build off of that and today look at optimization in a different way. Um, in the past, we've really looked at it as production versus talent. And from this angle, we'll be measuring more of an opportunity cost by trying to identify role players who, you know, they may be a star, they may be a role player. They're miscast in incorrect roles. And when I talk about roles, everything we're going to be speaking about today and the different roles that we use at B-Ball Index are ones that are derived from synergy play type data usage. So this is like isolation, pick and roll ball handler, posting up, uh, things like that. Maybe you get a lot of putbacks, you're a spot up guy. There are, I think, 10 or 11 different offensive play types. And Todd Whitehead, who does a lot of great work for Nylon Calculus, was able to cluster players together based off of the mix of the different types of users that they use. So we're going to be using those styles. We've spoken about these different roles before, and, and you can check out one of the earlier podcasts introducing those if you're not familiar. Today, we're going to be looking at guys who, you know, some are in the perfect role. Some are, are right where you'd want them to be based off of their skill set. Others aren't. Some are close to being in the right role, but they're not too far off. Others are just doing jobs that don't align best to their skill sets. And then we have some players, in fact, that are in a position in an offensive role that out of all 11, we would have projected as their very worst uh, offensive role area. And as a sneak peek moving forward, another thing around clustering and grades that we have going on is, uh, well, I, I kind of give it to you there, clustering players based off of their grades, not just based off, their, off of their usage, but looking at the grades themselves. So that's something... Hopefully you'll get to hear about next week, but let's get right into uh, looking at players and their optimization and really getting a sense of who some of the guys are. And, and I picked out a couple specific ones who are be, will be changing coaches or changing teams, um, although not all of them, but those are players who we should probably pay a uh, particular eye towards because they may have a great opportunity to break out to varying degrees this next season, uh, perhaps because their coach will put them in a better scheme. Um, or, I mean, really today it's about the, the roles that they're in. Uh, in some instances, it might be a great coach. In others, they may just be, you know, falling into a better role uh, sort of by accident. But either way, we're going to talk about them. And one guy we'll start off with is uh, Nick Batum. There was a great recent article by Rick, ben Rick Bennell in the Charlotte Observer that at one point talked about the Hornets being desperate to release or dump Nick Batum. Not release. They, they, they'd like to trade him away. Batum's 30. He's had a steadily declining impact. 
Um, so, I mean, from afar, you can't really blame them. If we look at his PIPM data, his player impact plus minus since the 2008-2009 season, here's the direction it's gone. So the following year, it was down and then up a little and then down, 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 up a little, down, down, and down. So you don't need to be a math whiz to catch the trend there. It's looking like, you know, getting up there in his 30s, he's probably not going to be a high impact player. But this is someone that I would make the case that a team that's looking to make some sort of playoff push or perhaps has the playoff talent and they just want to bolster that depth, uh, he'd be somebody worth, you know, taking a flyer on. If you if you've got a second round pick, you, you want to trade that in to uh, get an asset who you know what you're getting, Nick Batum could be your guy. Last season, as a secondary creator, our data had him as an 83rd. His, his overall rating offensively would be 83. If we're going to look at, uh, we try to scale the percentiles we came up with to 2K ratings. Um, Jacob did that, and, and I think it looks pretty cool. And it gives us a better sense of, you know, there aren't going to be, it's not a linear you know, progression from 99 to 98 to 97 and down. It's more of a bell curve. And between, I mean, 83 is still pretty good. That's, that's, that's quite good overall offensively. But uh, we think that if you could make him, instead of a secondary creator, turn him more into a movement wing or perhaps a tall spot up wing, those are roles that better, uh, you know, give him a shot to make the most out of his skill set. As a movement wing, we'd have his overall as a 91 and as a tall spot up wing as an 89. And the reason for that is this is somebody who, while many of his grades have gone down, and while he's not particularly strong in, in a lot of areas, he still has an A perimeter shooting grade last year. Uh, his his last six years, the weighted average for his off-ball movement grade uh, is an A-. minus. His one-on-one grade the past three years was an A-. minus. His uh, perimeter shooting, if we look the past six years, was a B+. Plus. So those are three different areas that, as an off-ball mover running off of screens, pin downs, flare screens, all of that, you can really use his skill set. Now, I don't think he's going to be J.J. Redick, but this is somebody who clearly is smart about working his way around screens. This is the same guy who, and and perhaps other players did it before him, but really stuck out to me and and to several others as someone who, running off of screens, he was very smart about stopping on a dime and letting you run into him and draw in contact as he's catching the ball. Um, So he's... Got some tricks up his sleeve. He is 30. He's somebody who you can have spot up, catch and shoot, and he'll make shots, but is well-equipped from an IQ standpoint, from a footwork uh, standpoint, from a shot-making standpoint to be a threat off ball. So that's the first guy we're going to talk about. Second one, uh, another player, and and they're not all like this, but another guy who may be better off as a movement wing is Wesley Matthews, who played for three different teams last year. Uh, hopefully he'll probably only play for one this year. New team, new situation. He has C or D grades for five of his eight offensive categories, but he does have an A minus perimeter shooting grade last season and an A off ball movement grade. So again, that's somebody who can shoot, is is smart going off ball. He's an older player, but he's got a pretty good IQ about this. Uh, and <laughs> I, it probably would have been one of my last guesses, but the offensive role that he had last season was as a versatile big, which makes no sense. And rightfully so, he would have been a 74.5 overall player, uh, again, with the 2K scaled ratings. If we bring him up to a movement wing, 
that 74 and a half jumps up to an 85, which again, maybe a, a little bit aggressive uh, compared to the production he'll actually have. But I think if we're just trying to project impact, that skill set in that role can be just the right amount of volume and the right type of shots for him to make the most of what he's bringing. So another guy that you can bring onto your team and probably get more out of him than you paid for. Another guy who his team is, they brought him in, they're hoping to get more than what they paid for is Thomas, uh, Tomas Sadaransky. Pretty sure it's Sadaransky. Uh, he signed a three-year, $30 million deal with the Bulls this past offseason. We, based on his PIPM data, expect him to outproduce that modestly, but I'm thinking he can do much better. Um, he's had a starter level, level PIPM wins added impact the past two seasons, so he's been good already. But if we can move him from a secondary creator role, where he graded out as an 85 offensively, to a primary creator role up to uh, 92.5 overall rating, that's that's really, really good. And I can easily see him being someone who, going onto the Bulls, he can have more volume, he can get a lot more pick and roll, which is really what is the big difference between secondary primary creators. More of that, it's not the ISO as much, that's that's more of the mega creator, but the primary creator is really thriving off of that pick and roll. And I think if they can give him the right mix of those, he can be pretty successful. It might be on a bad team, it might be on a fringe playoff team, we don't know. But it, he, I mean, he's somebody I think can put up numbers and he could be efficient in that type of role. I don't particularly like uh, Boylan and his offensive scheme. Uh, he graded out as one of the worst offensive optimization, I think the worst offensive optimization coach this past year. Uh, so I don't think by some stroke of genius, they'll have Sadoransky in a different role that better skip, uh, fits his skill set. Um, but I mean, it's not super difficult. It's a natural progression for him going from secondary to primary creator on that type of roster. So this is a chance for Chicago to really capitalize on what they can turn into an appreciating asset without really needing any incredible player development or even a great offensive scheme. So that's one of the few situations where someone would go to a Jim Boylan offense and I'd you know feel pretty optimistic about how they might be used. Several other players, if we're going to move towards to the big man side of things, they were actually used more as wings, kind of like the the spot-up wing, tall spot-up wing sorts of guys that would be much better off as bigs are Jake Lehman, who's now with the Timberwolves, new team, new situation, and Jabari Parker, who's now a Hawk. Uh, both guys in positions where they weren't super fit to succeed. And I think with Jabari Parker, you can certainly get into a number of other reasons why you know he, he made fans upset with his play this past season. But I think there are two guys that just based off of the skill sets, you can salvage some value and, and really return some positive value offensively in more big man type roles. For Layman in his first year, real year of having minutes, he had an A minus one on one grade, A minus finishing, A minus roll gravity, and an A post player grade. Okay shooter, C plus overall, but on the inside, finishing around the rim and the post. The, the former Maryland products can do some real damage, which was a pleasant surprise to me. He's, he's somebody who fell off my radar, but he finally got minutes last year and he produced. Jabari Parker has A finishing and post play grades and an A minus role gravity grade. So he's 
one of those guys I can see being played on the inside as a four. And if used that way, instead of more of the, the style of play he's had in recent years, I think you can make a lot more out of him. Another player who many people are excited about, uh, sort of in the Devin Booker type of mold in the sense that his defense is going to hold down his overall impact, but has a promising offensive game is Malik Beasley, who our data says is pretty primed to just pop out next year if you give him a better role offensively. He was a spot-up wing, uh, which, you know, that's fine for a young guard. Not super talented, not uber-athletic uh, in the sense that he's just like you, you just need to get him the ball. But he's somebody who, if you can take him out of that spot-up wing, kind of secondary create not even secondary creator, like tertiary option, put him into a more guard-type role or even as a tall spot-up wing where you're getting him involved off of some off-ball screens and cutting a bit more. He's somebody that the data says should be able to pop. Like I said, his defense is going to hold him back uh, probably next season, probably for years to come, based on what we know about defensive talent and the rates of growth for guards. But that offense has a chance to pop off. Another guy on the other end of things, we'll go from young to old this time, Kyle Lowry, who has had a pretty steep drop-off last season in his talent grades. He's no longer as dangerous as an off-ball player or as a one-on-one threat. Um, He's like really a shell of the 2017-2018 Kyle Lowry. And I think that was hidden just a little bit or maybe excused a little bit because of the team situation Toronto had. Pascal Siakam taking on more volume. Uh, Kawhi Leonard obviously taking on a lot more volume. Roles changed, and I think that did well to somewhat hide Lowry's declining game as he ages. Um, last year, he was a secondary creator. With Kawhi gone, I would expect him to take more of a primary creator role, which, it, as it works out, ends up being his most optimized role in our database. Um, he could go from a 78.5 to an 85 from that secondary to crime, primary creator role more pick and roll, get him more volume. That's that's a guy who still has it in a couple key areas in ones that much, much better fit the ball in his hands, being able to shoot and play make than as a secondary tertiary option. We'll hit a couple more. Um, one guy, I think the, the last individual player, and then I want to hit on a couple team situations. The last individual player uh, is Gordon Hayward, who, you know, he came back last season off of the injury the year before. Um, he wasn't his 2016-2017 pre-injury self, but he also didn't really fall off nearly as much as, as I think a lot of people realize. The only grade in his entire profile that had a substantial drop-off was his off-ball movement. Um, but everywhere else, it, it wasn't that he got better or even was the same, but he was he was in the same ballpark for a lot of those grades and overall was still very above average player. Um, I think this is another example of someone in a Brad Stevens scheme who perhaps isn't having the most of their talent uh, materialized. And and we can get into Brad Stevens scheme and, and what it leaves to be desired another time. And I've, I've spoken about it on Twitter on several occasions, but Hayward was a secondary creator last season based on his skill set, based on the weightings that the machine learning uh, reinforced model that we ran 
identified as important for different roles. His skill set fit a secondary creator role. He was as a 76 overall on that one to 99 scale. If you make him a tall creator, he jumps up to an 84 and a half. So that's more pick and roll. That's more ISO, but that's also a little bit more posting up, getting him on the inside for, for some cutting, some putbacks, not just heavy guard dominant possessions, but using his size, maybe this season he'll be more aggressive and, if we can see him get back to some of his old tendencies, he certainly has the skill set to really pop off because he definitely still has the talent. If, if we can get him between what Boston is using to deploy him and his own personal tendencies, that tall creator role is well within reach and he has the skill set to capitalize. So those are some individual players, uh, just a really couple quick team situations I want to hit on. The Kings, they have two guys who were both in roles that weren't movement wings, but both project to be at their best as movement wings. Those are uh, our guy, B. Jelly, who was a glue guy last year, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is a secondary creator. Uh, with Luke Walnut at the helm, maybe not going to happen for both of them, turning into movement wings. And I think movement wings in general are a type of position that unless your offensive scheme is really dedicated to that, it's difficult to have more than one of those guys on the court at the time. At a time, you have to be very purposeful about how you're using them and how you're getting those cuts in in off ball, off screen, flin, uh, pins and flares, and, and all that sort of stuff. But they've got two guys who are equipped to do that. So perhaps, you know, if if one of them, if not both, can make that transition, I would expect to see more from them. Maybe either or potential trade ships. And other teams can see that potential realized in that sort of role because that, I mean, again, not a Kyle Korver, J.J. Reddick guy, but that mold of player is somebody who, in general, you can pretty much just plug into a scheme and have really easy set plays built in for them. Another situation with some changing scenery, made a big trade, um, the Philadelphia 76ers. And the two guys I want to touch on are Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris. Richardson, as somebody who was a secondary creator last year, but our data should be someone with the ball in his hands a lot more. As a primary creator, mega creator, doesn't need to be super high volume mega creator, but the types of possessions can be different. More skewed to, towards isolation and the pick and roll. And Tobias Harris, on the other hand, was a tall creator last year and... Our data thinks he should be pretty much anything else. Get get the ball in his hands in those types of situations a bit less. Get him into a more secondary type of role. He's not somebody you just stick in the corner and, and try to make the most out of, but he's also not somebody you hand handfuls of ISO and pick and roll possessions every game. So I think there's a happy middle ground for Harris, and I think the decrease in those types of possessions can easily be transitioned over to Josh Richardson in a good equilibrium between the two and the Sixers can benefit. So that's something to keep an eye on. And the very last team we'll touch on uh, two guys, Patty Mills and Rudy Gay. Interesting to see them on this list being towards the top in terms of opportunity cost. Rudy Gay was a tall creator. Uh, Patty Mills as a secondary creator and having Greg Popovich as your head coach, you know, the general consensus there is he's a Excellent coach, makes the most out of his guys, does a great job resting players and, and just getting production out of people. 
but in this situation, we have two guys who perhaps were miscast. Um, I think with Patty Mills, based on what we saw in the World Cup and, and what this data is saying from his NBA player, he should have the ball in his hands a little bit more. Instead of being a secondary creator and working more off ball, make him a primary creator, get him the ball in his hands, let him create as a pick and roll player. He can even ISO a bit. That's that's a step he can take. Rudy Gay, on the other hand, is aging a bit. And instead of being a tall creator, you can probably move him back into that secondary creator spot up wing type roles. Hell, even a, a glue guy would work. I think any of those three for Gay and, and when I say I think, I, I say the the data thinks, and I would concur in this situation, you probably get more out of Rudy Gay. So we'll see if Pop can make those adjustments. Um, but that's it in terms of the individual players that we'll talk about today. Next, uh, we'll get into some of the uh, ideas around overall player defense and averaging different stats and what our approach at B-Ball Index might be. But first, we'll have a short message from a sponsor. Hi guys, Tim here, uh, taking over for Tim for this short break. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about my bookie for a quick second. As you may know, at B-Ball Index, in addition to all of the basketball data and scheme and all the different things we have going on, we also have some game projections for NBA, WNBA, and college basketball. Who you can use those projections and place your bets against the spread, over unders, all of that. But one other key part to that equation is where you're going to place your bets. And my favorite place to do that uh, for basketball, this time of year for football, there's nothing better than after you record your 40-minute monologue podcast after that hard day of work, hard week of work, to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Um, watching those two-minute drives, running backs, getting to the goal line, diving in, did he fumble? Is it a touchback? Is it, is it a touchdown? great hits, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it, the games are a lot of fun. I play fantasy. That's a lot of fun, but it's even more fun betting on them. Um, and, and by fun, I mean a little bit anxious, but it's way more exciting. So do the smart thing. Uh, add my book into your portfolio. It's it's always good to shop around, get different lines. So find places like my bookie, sign up, get their bonuses, and then find the best lines for you based on the info you have either intuition or, or from a mathematical standpoint and place the bets where you have the best edge and my bookie is a place where you can go to it mybookie.ag not.com um, you get some great bonuses you can bet in game uh, with live betting you can bet on parlays where you pick you know two or three or five or ten games and if you get them all right your winnings are multiplied as opposed to betting them all individually um it's, it's a smart thing to do. Uh, diversify your betting portfolio. Add MyBookie to the list. If you join MyBookie now and use our promo code, you can double your first deposit. So free money right there, guys. So use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate that offer. That's MyBookie.com. Sorry, MyBookie.ag, not .com. And use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate that offer. So visit today. You play, you win, and you get paid. Our other sponsor for the day is Harry's Razors. If you visit their website, you can check out all different shave sets and face care products. So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's, claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. If you're wondering why to try Harry's, because um, you can you can buy expensive razors everywhere, but you can get some good, high quality, 
cheaper, well-priced razors at Harry's. Um, this is their founders were just two regular guys who were really getting tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. So Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just two bucks per blade. You're not paying 10, 20, 30 dollars per blade. If you don't love your shave, just let them know and you'll get a full refund for what you paid. So, I mean, really low risk there. If you don't enjoy it, you can get your money back. And so this summer, refresh your wallet and your face with the Harry's trial set that comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering gel um, that'll leave you smelling great after your shave, and then also a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of the show can redeem their trial set if you just go to harrys.com slash bluewire. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to get that special offer now. Let them know I sent you and support the show. So last week, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, we discussed uh, Sports Illustrated's top 100 player list. Recently, ESPN released their own list of the top 100 players, which has its own highs and lows. We, we can get into that another time. I think that'd be good to talk about with Jacob and Tony here with me. But one list that I had DM to me on Twitter was one done recently at Bleacher Report, where what they did was they tried to evaluate overall player defense. They, they wanted to see who the best defensive players are at each position. And their approach to that was to look at defensive real plus minus, defensive box plus minus, defensive rating, and defensive win shares. And then what they did was they averaged the players' rankings among their own position for each of those four stats to come up with the overall list. Other stats they referenced in their write-ups were individual defender synergy defensive percentiles, saying, all right, Corey Joseph was in, I don't know, the 90th percentile defending uh, pick-and-roll ball handlers, or, or he held pick-and-roll ball handlers to 0.8 points per possession, something like that. They also referenced uh, individual opposing player three-point shooting defense. So when Tim was guarding Tony, Tony shot worse from three, that sort of thing. I take some issue with both of those. Uh, <laughs> I will say that I've used both of these in the past, have, have learned, I've grown since then, and figured out, all right, here are the stats that maybe are more accurate than others in, in assessing this sort of thing. Um, with the synergy defensive percentiles at the at the team level, it's fine. At the individual player level, we know it can be quite iffy. Uh, I think at, having watched a lot of the film, they log things fairly correctly at the NBA level. Uh, at the college levels where there's a lot more issues, but at the NBA level, it, you'll have times where they give a pick and roll ball handler defensive possession to, I don't know, Lonzo Ball. But Lonzo Ball is taken out by a screen. And then for the last like three or four seconds of the play, that ball handler was attacking the rim against Ivica Zubats or somebody. It's, it's difficult in allocating one full possession of defense to one specific defender. You can run into all kinds of trouble with all right, well, I mean, if they just pull up and shoot against me and no one else was involved, very easy. I was defending them. That's simple. When you get into things like pick and roll where it's more of a team defensive concept or somebody gets beat and I'm going at the rim and Rudy Gobert's there to block my shot, those are times where the, the stats can really get muddled. 
So that's why defensive percentiles for individual defense can be quite iffy and team driven driven. And then in terms of opposing player three point defense, I mean, nylon calculus has given us a lot, but one of the things that I think you got to know that they've given us is the studies they've done on opposing player three point shooting and just how much variance is included with that and how it's really not something that can really be controlled at a team level, certainly not at an individual player level. So not not the best way to evaluate players, but that wasn't even part of the math. That was just part of the write-ups. When we look at the approach of averaging stats, I like the idea. It makes sense. You want to figure out what, what are the key things and then how does a player rank in each of those? And, and we've seen p- people on Twitter, people on different websites, blogs, TV, find stats they think are important, rank them, uh, rank players in them or, or find their percentiles or something and average them together. It can give you decent results the same way that at B-Ball Index, our initial behind the scenes overall ratings that were all right, they weren't great, were from us figuring out how much weight we think everything should deserve. That was one thing. If we would have just come up with overall offensive ratings by just literally weighing everything the same and averaging them together, I don't think that would have been very good at all. But you still would have seen some of the players who were the best players towards the top. So in a sense, you can still get okay results with questionable process, um, but but we can be better. There, there's opportunity for improvement there. And then that's why at Basketball Index, we took the machine learning approach, looked at thousands of data points and try to identify what's most important for different players based on their position, based on their usage, their deployment. And that's that's where we are today. But when we look at averaging, I think if you are very strongly inclined to average different grades, one thing I'd say about using rankings or percentiles as being part of that is you don't really capture the magnitude. And by, by, by that, I mean, you can have a top 10 players in uh, defensive real plus minus, but you can't really measure the gap between one and two. You know the order, but you don't know exactly how much better someone did than someone else. We can we can have 10 people run a 5K and I can re- uh, finish you know six minutes before the second place person. But if you're just looking at percentiles or rankings, it's still one and two, no matter if I beat you by half a second or five minutes. That's why using either Z-scores which is something that's used in statistics to, you, you can use it in this case to quantify the magnitude and understand how much above or below that, that median someone is. And you, and you look at center deviation and there's a simple formula. You can Google it. You can use that, or you can also use what's called a harmonic mean, which is something that's really useful if you're trying to take different variables that, that mean different things in are in different sorts of units. So like if you wanted to take I don't know, PIPM, which most players are between what, like two and negative two. Maybe you've got some threes or fours or fives in there. And then you want to look at defensive rating, which we'll touch on in a second, in a second, but is in like, you know, the eighties, nineties, hundreds, hundred and tens. If you average together something that's a hundred and then another variable that's a two, that's going to, that's going to really throw off the weighting there. So using a harmonic mean works around that. It's something that's in Excel. You can play around with it and just see what I mean. It, it really gets a, a good sense of the relative weighting of different variables. So if you want to rank, 
those are things you can look at if you if you really want to use an average. Now, in terms of the individual inputs, defensive real plus minus is a good stat. Find it on ESPN. I wish it were more sortable. There are some aesthetic things that I think I really enjoy about PIPM in terms of filtering by games and players and years and different things like that, that we don't quite have on ESPN's platform, but it's still a very good stat. Box plus minus offensively is okay. Defensively in the, and I'm, this is, this is for like a full season on an individual game basis. It overall is, is good on a full season. It doesn't quite get you where, where you want to be going. If, if you're just looking at what defensively you can impact in the box score with, with steals and blocks and rebounds, there's a lot more to defense than, than what's in there. And I mean, even though the, the creator of, of defensive box plus minus said, you know, Hey, the, Offensive parts where, where your, your bread is buttered, the defensive side, not quite as much. This is a stat that I think had much more use years ago. By today's standards, I'd replace that with, with defensive player impact plus minus um, or, or DRAPM, something like that, if, if you wanted to have a second impact stat in there, which is what I would call the PIPMs of the world, the RAPMs, RPMs, you know, pick three, four letters. It's probably an impact stat. Then we have uh, defensive rating, which is more of a team statistic than an individual player statistic, which is the reason why you don't really see it used much of anywhere for this sort of analysis. Um, player was on the court. When they were on the court, their team's defensive rating was 100 points per 100 possessions. That leaves a ton of context out. That's why you know the next step would be the on-off ratings which still miss a ton of context and then you try to adjust for you know who was on the court with them who they were playing against and it's this really tricky game of trying to cut more and more of the sample out or or frame it better and better while lowering the sample size which is why the you know real plus minus or player impact plus minus they do that sort of thing for you and there's a lot better math behind it than, than you trying to manually cut that down for individual players and equalize everything. Use defensive player impact plus minus adjust for, you know, teammate quality, opponent quality, the, the box score stuff and the on off stuff altogether. So defensive rating is in here. I personally would, would not have it in there. I think of the four, it would be the first one to be cut. Defensive win shares is something that is calculated off of that defensive rating in large part. Um, win shares are an, I, a good concept, and I think you can find those with PIPM or RPM in terms of wins added. Um, different, I mean, you, you, we can reframe the PIPM wins added to be like win shares if we wanted to. So the concept is fine. How much value of your team's wins were, were you bringing to the table? When you're basing it off of defensive rating, again, a team stat that we're using for a player stat, you can, you can find some, some issues. So I, I got a little bit in the weeds there, but I hope that gives you a better sense of with what's being looked at, why some of those variables may or may not be what you'd want if you did want to average together some stats. Now, what they did end up coming up with um, was they, they did their top five for each position. For the sake of time, we'll just talk about guards. Their top five guards were Corey Joseph, Eric Bledsoe, Kyle Lowry, Ricky Rubio, and Russell Westbrook. So Corey Joseph first, 
Corey Joseph's a, a good defender. Um, he grades out well with with from an impact standpoint, from a talent grade standpoint. His perimeter defense is his strongest area. He had an A grade for us if you compare just to guards with a thousand minutes played, that drops to an A minus, but still very good. Where where things become tricky assessing guards is trying to understand how much of defense is also dependent for them on their interior defense or their defensive rebounding, which is where we really struggled initially coming up with, again, trying to come up with weightings for this at, at, at B-Ball Index. The machine learning has helped a lot. Now we better understand the exact breakdowns. And I think that's something we sh- will touch on next week on the next podcast. But interior defense and defensive rebounding are important for guards. They're more important for wings and bigs, but they are important for guards and a lot more so than I would have guessed. Um, and Joseph's C minus interior defense and C defensive rebounding grades, they're okay. I mean, for a guard that that C minus interior defense is a C and the C defensive rebounding is a B plus looking at guards with a thousand minutes or more played, but that's still not elite. And it's certainly not top five or, or number one quality. So Corey Joseph is someone who we have, you know, quite a few handfuls down down the list. And uh, if we were to come up with our own overall defensive ratings, Eric Bledsoe they have second. He would check out in our top five. Kyle Lowry they have on there. Uh, for us, again, very good defender would probably be top ten to fifteen for us. Very good uh, perimeter defender. For his size, quite a good interior defender, but his F defensive rebounding grade is where he really gets hurt uh, in our talent grades and would would definitely kick him out of the top five for us. Ricky Rubio, another guy like Joseph, very, very good perimeter defensive rating, but overall just isn't quite elite. Um, if From an impact standpoint, he had his second worst defensive player impact plus minus season of his career this past season. So not quite a peak year for him. And there are areas of his game that, I mean, when you're watching guards defend, what sticks out is, is if you're able to harass the ball handler or get steals or things like that or deflections. But if you look at defense as a whole, there's a lot that is happening when you might be watching someone else dribble the ball around or pass or shoot. And holistically, Rubio wouldn't, wouldn't quite be in that top five. Russell Westbrook was there number five. And he's somebody who... Our talent data also has rated out quite highly. He would make our top five just barely, but his defensive impact um, from from player impact plus minus isn't elite by any means. And he's somebody who I think is much more worthy of a deep dive um, from a film and data standpoint. Very good defensive rebounder, but does hunt those defensive rebounds. So it's it's tough to quantify from from like the eye test. Well, how good is he really when it comes to contested rebounds? How good is he? which is why we, we like to grade out those things using some math. And you can even look at just like, uh, <coughs> excuse me, just like player impact plus minus kind of from an on off standpoint with rebounding, we have that data. And then you can take it a step further and look at trying to adjust for the players on and off the court with, with those guys. And I think we'll touch on this maybe in another pod, but we have that data now as well. So now we can assess rebounding or free throw shooting or, or drawing fouls, um, which is what I meant by free throw shooting, in all of those different ways um, from an on-off adjusted standpoint. So 
we can look at those things mathematically. It's tough from the eye test, but he made their top five. He made our top five. Looking at our top five, um, so we said Bledsoe's on there, Westbrook's on there. Ben Simmons was in ours. This is someone who, I mean, maybe a little bit of cheating having him as a guard, but very, very good perimeter defender, very good interior defender, which isn't a surprise based on his size. Um, good defensive rebounder. So just all around a good player. He may not be the best perimeter defender, um, but holistically as a guard, he's he's in there. Eric Bledsoe, Derek White we have in there. Another guy who solid all around. Russell Westbrook and then Malcolm Brogdon to top out um, or close out our top five. I think if, if you overall, the trend would be holistic, not just on the perimeter, but being able to rebound and, and defend the inside as well. So those would be our top five purely based off of that uh, overall defensive rating based off of the different weightings from the machine learning. Um, I didn't adjust for optimization, so I may have to go back into this and we'll touch on this maybe next pod once we adjust for that component because um, that's something that's important as well. Uh, so so don't, don't <laughs> tweet these out and yell at me. Um, another thing about not tweeting out and yelling at me is there are several guys like Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday. Uh, they grade out as wings in our math, not as guards. But if we just look at the top five perimeter defenders overall, not not looking at interior defense or defensive rebounding, just perimeter defense, the top five, you know, you've got Bloodstone in there, Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart, Paul George, Mikel Bridges. That checks out with me by my eye test. Very elite defenders. And Bloodstone made the, the top five guards overall. And I think if... If Drew or Marcus Smart were to be categorized as guards as well, they probably would have made that team. Um, again, another thing we can probably look at more in depth, not on the spot. Uh, and I, I guess just overall, I, I close out by saying over the past several years, I've grown a lot in my understanding of the data and the scheme to areas that when I jumped on the scene a couple years ago, uh, which I mean, <laughs> that's more pompous than it was. When I, went, when I came into Twitter and I had my 170 followers or whatever it was and started tweeting about the game and trying to share knowledge and learn more, there were times where in tweets or, or articles early on, I would reference things like three-point defense or uh, synergy defensive data or uh, th- just things of that nature. Over the time, learned as much as I could, try to keep taking steps forward. I think being doing that on a public stage where if I say something dumb, it's criticized and the feedback loop is pretty quick, helps you maybe accelerate that growth. But I say just being part of that community and, and having fun watching the game, reading articles, reading great work by others at places like Nylon. Um, and there, there are plenty of, of great writers at websites and blogs all over. Learning as much as you can can just help you grow a ton to the point where I, and, and I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert or by any means a data scientist, but just having a better sense for what does the landscape of data look like and which things should I be looking at, which ones should I be caring a little bit less about. And I think it helps you be a better, smarter, more more enjoyed, or I guess you, I'd say you can enjoy the game more as a basketball fan. So I'd you know encourage people to keep their mind open, find some new stats and see the game in different ways. And hopefully B-Ball Index fits into that equation. 
So that's, that's really all for today. Thank you for listening to me monologue for however long this was. Please feel free to share the pod with your friends. Uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This is something we neglect to mention. I think this might be the first time we mentioned it, but if, if you like the show, uh, let us know. Give us your feedback. You can email me. You can DM me, uh, at me on Twitter. Give us a review on iTunes. I'd highly encourage you to check out our data and tools package, which is where you can find all of this talent-grade data, the PIPM data, optimization data, this new optimization uh, from a, the sense of uh, opportunity cost, I think we'll throw in there as well. Our, our World Cup PIPM, uh, gravity data, all kinds of great stuff. Take Check that out. It's $5. It should definitely be more than $5. And we're working on trying to set up different team-specific packages as well. Um, so check that out. And then, you know, hit me up if you have any questions. So that's all for today. Thank you for joining the B-Ball Index podcast. Have a great rest of your week. 